All right, welcome everybody to uh, the Legal Tech Week for March 10th of 2023. Uh, welcome everybody. We uh, uh, are uh, a couple minutes getting late getting started. Sorry about that. That was my fault. A few technical difficulties here. But this is the show in which we talk about the top stories in uh, legal tech and innovation over the past week. Um, and uh, we are... Uh, Actually, I haven't been on for two weeks, so uh, we got a couple of weeks to talk about, including uh, following up on Tech Show last week. Um, we are so maybe still waiting for one more panelist. I'm not sure, but uh, no. oh no, oh okay, no. okay, all right. So this this is this is your panel as you see us before you today. Yeah. Uh, so let's go around uh, and introduce ourselves. And uh, Jean, uh, why don't you start? Hey, I am Jean O'Grady. I am the uh, author and editor of. Dewey B Strategic, which covers technology, um, focusing primarily on knowledge, research, analytics, and anything else I'm interested in. And I also write a column for the Legal Tech Hub platform. Yeah, right. and uh, Nikki. I am Nikki Black. I am the head of SME and external education at my case slash LaPe. Um, I write legal tech columns for um, ABA Journal Above the Law, the Daily Record, and I also oversee the creation of the um, industry report and the benchmark reports on the My Case and Law Pay side of things. And uh, I'm super excited to be here. It's we're in the middle of a snowstorm, so it's really pretty. I don't know what it's like where you guys are. Can't hmm, wait to talk about tech, Joe. Yeah, okay, and Joe. Hi, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer. It is not snowing here, uh, though I hear it is going to start snowing here in lovely West Virginia, where I am temporarily. Uh, but good to be back uh, virtually chatting with everybody after we had, you know, we were all kind of away last week. Yeah, and it's not snowing in Massachusetts. In fact, it's uh, kind of warm and very sunny, but I just got back from Utah where they had a lot of snow. Utah has had like record snow this year. And on the as I was driving to the airport to get out of town, it was snowing pretty heavily. So I've uh, seen a lot of snow this week, but not here. Um, all right, well, we're, I, I, we've got to kick it off, I think, by talking a little bit about ABA Tech Show. Uh, three of us were there. Gene wasn't there, but uh, and a couple of our other usuals, uh, Victor and Stephanie, were also there, but they're not able to be here with us today. And Steve Emery, of course, uh, who's the uh, chair of the Law Practice Division, and which puts on Tech Show. Um, uh, but none of them are able to be here today, so we're going to have to uh, go it alone in terms of talking about what we thought um but uh so what did we think <laughs> nikki well, joe what did you think you want to start off right there. oh uh no i thought it was great um you know i always love tech show uh i feel as though we had uh i thought it was bigger and better uh in a lot of ways i like startup alley which uh which you host uh bob i is an event that I go to every year, and it's always kind of in a side room with a few people and whatever. It was massive. Everybody was there. It was. I, I thought this was this was a great showing for a conference. I, yeah. I loved it. I mean, I've been going to tech show not as long as some people, but at least for a decade, a little over a decade now. And um, I thought that it was. I, I was very impressed with the programming. I was impressed with the energy. 
I was impressed with the planning. Um, there were some people on the board that, uh, um, like he and Carolyn come to mind, uh, that I think sort of helped infuse some of that energy. Certainly everyone on the board did a fantastic job. Um, but it was, uh, and I, I loved how at the very last minute they managed to fit in some chat GPT uh, presentations that hadn't been planned because they were, they pivoted, you know, which I thought Wait, was- Wait, what? what? What's that? I, I, I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> I know, right? It's this thing people are just starting to talk about. It's just bubbling to the surface. But <laughs> it was great that they fit that. And I was also impressed. I sat with Joe at the um, Startup Alley, but uh, and we thought, you know, it was in, it was perfect that it was in that large room so that everybody could come. They weren't crowded together. It sort of gave it the the feel and the attention that you know you felt like it deserved all along, rather than being this thing where they switched everyone in the back. Um, I thought it was, I, th I thought the show was just great. I, it was really hectic for me because I spoke three times because I also did the lunch and learn for my case and law pay in addition to two different um, sessions. So it felt pretty hectic to me, but uh, in a good way. And I, I loved running into everybody. And you know, the other thing I would just note that was great about it was it really felt like the first times to me, honestly, since the pandemic that people just weren't thinking about there's most people were not real worried about their safety or their security. And it just felt like things were back to normal as they could be on the other side of this pandemic. I loved it. It was very energizing and exciting. And I learned a lot. Yeah, there were, I yeah, did talk to some people there who said it was their first time anywhere since the pandemic. So it, it was for some people still, they were still getting back into the swing of things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I thought I, you know, I, my, in my, my blog post review of it, I, I said, this is not your grandparents' tech show. And I, I kind of, what I was feeling, I mean, I, it did feel there was a point, I, I'm not sure I could even put my finger on exactly when it was, but not all that long ago when tech show was kind of starting to feel stale and it was falling into this rut where they would have kind of the same speakers every year talking about the same topics. Uh, and, you know, some of these speakers had been talking there for as long as I've been going to tech show, which is a long time. Uh, and it, it, it had, it just had, it was, you know, there was so many conferences emerging and, uh, and so many conferences focusing on sort of cutting edge topics and innovation and all of that. It was starting to feel just like, you know, it was stuck in this rut a little bit. And, uh, uh, as, as I mentioned in my post that there was a couple of years ago, the, before, right before the pandemic, the ABA kind of convened this sort of semi-secret group or, uh, uh, of people that were supposed to sort of think about, uh, you know, what, the, what should be the future of Tech Show? How can we uh, get some energy back into it? Um, somehow I got roped into being on that committee uh, and it, I, we, had a, we had a bunch of meetings and then it kind of never went anywhere. Uh, I think in part for fear that it was just gonna, you know, just wasn't the appropriate way that the tech show board should be given the responsibility of of uh, energizing tech show. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I thought 2020 actually wasn't a bad, it was a good tech show, but, but I thought this year, uh, the um, uh, board just did a fantastic job with it. And it just it did feel like a, a fresh and, and vibrant and uh, you know, uh, uh, legal tech show. I mean, it, 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 the energy was great. The attendance, I think, was record attendance. Of the exhibitor exhibition hall was record numbers in the exhibit hall. Um, you know, as Joe said, the, the, I think as you both said, the, the startup alley had a whole different feel to it. They put it in a room that was at least twice the size of the prior year, if not even bigger than that. And it was still standing room only in that room. 
Um, so uh, all in all, a good a good thing. Well, and then there are two other things I wanted to mention. Um, one was about the show, and that was one new idea that they'd implemented that I thought was really creative to keep the um, people that had, in, you know, were a huge part of the show over the years and still are, um, and to make sure that we, everyone was able to utilize their knowledge and um, so that they were still included as part of the show and um, was to have them uh, where the books were sold, they sort of had a uh, kind of like a genius bar concept to meet with them, the PMAs and other people um, and other consultants to ask them questions, like a Q&A concept there. And I thought that was a really cool new addition. I'm not sure how well that went over, if people were aware of it, but I think they can definitely build on that over time if it wasn't something that it filtered, filtered out into the pen, into the conference. And then the other thing, of course, was Bob's, um, your wonderful uh, recognition at the conference during the Startup Alley. Um, and uh, the wonderful song that apparently you're not going to let us sing. I don't know if I would know how to sing it, but I can't believe we're not going to play it. But the recognition of all the godfather of legal tech, I think, is what they called you. Well-deserved, honored, a tribute. So that was awesome, too. The, the song was, uh, I, I spoke, I had to speak at BYU Law School this year, and or this week, this week uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, the guy who uh, introduced me decided that rather than put together an introduction, uh, he would play the song as as my introduction. So uh, here I was having to get up and speak in front of half the law school and get this goofy, <laughs> the goofy video was played as my introduction. Kind of threw me off a little bit there too. But every time I see it, it throws me off. I don't know. I think so you need I, to play I, it now for those of us who never saw it. Right? You never saw I think it? We've got time. We should play it 100%. There's only four of us. Yeah, we're going to have Who thinks we should play it? Raise your hand or comment in the comments. <laughs> yeah, Joan was there. Joan was there. Yeah, see, um, who wants yeah. to see it? All right, we can play it. I've got it. I actually have it. We'll play it. What the heck? I think I have it. Wait a minute. If I can figure out, share a screen on the webinar. I think Andrew Aruda just put it in the tech. <laughs> yeah, but that's not as good. That's not the one. There it is. Whoa. A little ditty about Bob's career span. Lawyer and journalist started in a Virgin Island. Right now, Leo Tech became a big star. Who knew 20 years later he'd have come this far? So, uh, well, let me start at kindergarten. Uh, but I wasn't uh, making any money. And uh, I'd say, look, lawyers, you ought to be aware of this thing called the internet. Long and legal topics covering the industry. Started his own firm, Law Next Tech Directory. After 10 years, still hosting Startup Alley. Giving new legal solutions the perfect place to be seen. Oh yeah, Bob's influence goes on. Still putting out content that's always spot on. Oh yeah, Bob's still going strong. That's why ADA had to sing in this song. He leads on. 
right. There you go. That was priceless. <laughs> you know, Bob, Classic I actually think camp. that young you walking down the street Whoops. sort of dressed like. <laughs> I just started it again. Okay. What? <laughs> I think I look, you look a little bit like Mick Jagger in that. I hear that. You know, I, I only wish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he did, right? In that one picture, for sure. He absolutely looked like Mick Jagger. Yeah. Plus, I put in the chat, this was almost as catchy as that um, Nixon Peabody celebration song that above the line. To like... right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they did such a good job. They did such a good job of stripping the Internet of that glory. And it's so sad because it was so good. Yeah, yeah. It's well, still I there on YouTube. You can that find guy, it. John Lindsay, who made that, he, he did that. Uh, he does that for a business. And apparently he did it gratis because uh, not only does he do that uh -huh. for a business, but he has he works in the legal tech industry as well. And uh and particularly Carolyn Elephant, who was, I think, the one who kind of thought of the whole idea and and uh, lined up John and, and everything else to do that. So that was a real that was a real honor. I really appreciated it from everybody. So see what you missed, Jean. You got now. Uh, uh, no. I know. I hate to tell you, the, the last time I was there, I just counted. It was 1996 and the Internet was the big deal. There was content out on the Internet. And I think Connell had just launched the U.S. code online for free. Not Connell, um, Cornell Law School. Yeah. 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 The, uh, yeah. Legal Information Institute. Those guys. Tom. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Um, I guess, so I guess that's our tech show summary. Uh, would have liked that. But Steve also wrote a good post about it too. Uh, and uh, I mean, I can put that if I can find it here. I can put that uh, link in the chat. Um, so, uh, well, uh, let's see. <laughs> Where are we? What else happened this week? Uh, Gene, uh, since you've been away for a few weeks, you want to? Uh, I know uh, you wanted to talk about uh, some news out of our friends at Case Tech. You want to talk yeah, about that? Yeah, well, I don't know whether, I mean, they, it, like the worst kept secret in legal tech was that they were going to come out with something big because everyone was hearing about it and everybody knew, knew that they were building something on top of, um, oh my God, what was <laughs> what was the last thing? Parallel search and yeah. Um, yeah. compose. And so they finally did launch. But what my post was about was I've never, this was, I think, a first. They did a launch of their league of their new product co-counsel on Morning Joe live with Mika. They were interviewed and they were um they they had ingested the January 6th transcripts and they asked it questions in real time about Donald Trump's liability. Uh, for conspiracy. And it was, I just, I was just totally oppressed. And on top of all of that, Pablo Arredondo was wearing a suit and tie, which I'd never <laughs> seen before. So um, I, I mean, the, the glories of, uh, of uh, legal tech were getting into the big time. So Bob, I expect to see you on, uh, on Morning Joe soon. Yeah, just what I live for. Um, I'm right. Greg said he combed his hair. That's true. That's true. And and Bob, I know you wrote a more substantive um, uh, article about uh, what co-counsel does, but it is a truly cool product. And I think there's going to be a lot of buzz and a lot of there's going to be another event, I believe, at Legal Tech in New York or Legal Week in New York, which I will be writing about. Yeah, yeah. 
why am I, I'm like looking at my blog, trying to find the case tech story and not even finding it. I mean, something weird is going on with my blog today, but, but uh, yeah, I wrote a more substantive review uh, only because I got a chance to play around with it, but I got, I got a chance to play around with it. Like literally the night before that they launched it. So, uh, and, and I wrote the post that night. So it wasn't uh, quite as extensive as I would have liked to do. Uh, they, I kept asking, they kept saying they're going to give me access to it. I kept like, okay, okay, give me access, give me access. And nothing was happening. Uh, and they finally like, well, was, I think it was the day before they finally gave me access to it, but I was working and had other stuff to do. And so it was that night I got to play around a little bit, but, and they had that, uh, they had that uh, January 6th database up there in the, in the sort of the sandbox version that they let me play around with. So, I, you know, I did some things like ask it about, uh, uh, Trump, uh, ask it, what did I ask it? Whether, uh, um, whether there was any evidence that President Trump was involved in uh, planning the assault on the U.S. Capitol, I asked it co-counsel, and it said there is ample evidence that President Trump was involved in planning the assault on the U.S. Capitol. Blah blah blah. And it went on and gave me a very long answer with citations to the documents. I mean, that, what's cool about it is, you know, we, we are so afraid of talking about we we all are keep talking about hallucinations in in AI and GPT uh, and this this fear that that's going to uh, uh, sort of permeate uh, uh, or denigrate the kind of results we get out of it. Uh, and they are claiming that they, you know, pretty much uh, have all but eliminated the likelihood of hallucinations. Although Harvey, another competitor of theirs, also working with GPT, also is saying something similar. Um, but uh, one of the nice things about it is that it's not just giving you an answer, but the answers are all linked to citations in, in the documents that it's drawing from. So, you know, you can basically verify that, that the answers are, it's giving you are, are, are true. Uh, and uh, so that's really nice. Um, and I know, I think there, I, I, I think we might be hearing some more news from them in a, in a couple of weeks with, with some further advances on this. So uh, uh, stay tuned, stay tuned for that around the time of legal week. Yeah, the thing that struck me about it and the kind of the title of my post about it was what impressed me is it it knows what it doesn't know. Uh, and it reminded me of the advice I would always give witnesses when I would uh, be prepping them that like, if if you start to speculate, in a way, you're really lying, right? Because you don't know that. And if you present it like you do, you're really lying. So don't do that. Um, and that's what this does. Like it, it the hallucination issue is that it's always trying to please the user, basically, uh, is how these things function. Uh, and the way in which they've got it set up, and I think kind of the the lodestone for all AI development over the next bit is going to be, how do you keep this thing from trying to please the user in ways that are bad? Uh, and it would it would spit back answers like, yes, if it had yes, and no, if it had no. And then it would have these inconclusives well, that you would like put your cursor over and it would explain, here's why we say it's inconclusive. We see this, but we also see that. Here's links to what we're seeing. Go make a judgment for yourself. Uh, and it it could give you an answer one way or the other, and it could resolve that difference. But what was powerful about it, to my mind, was it's set up to understand where it crosses the line into telling you something it can't really prove. Uh, and that was what I liked is the the knowing what it doesn't know is going to be the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Explainable AI. Yeah. 
Um, it, it, I guess, but the one thing nobody can quite answer for me yet is how Case Tech's product differs from that Harvey product. They're both using GPT. They're both supposedly using very advanced versions of GPT. Uh, the Harvey product is, in fact, funded uh, by OpenAI. Um, whereas Case Tech is working with it. I know there, there's some differences in, in how they're being trained or fine-tuned, um, uh, I mean, but it Papel, seems like- Papel actually said to me they were not using GPT. So I'm not sure, I'm Who not- isn't? I, Pablo said it wasn't GPT. At Case Text? Yeah. No, it's GPT, yeah, it's definitely GPT. This this gets to that whole that gets to yeah. the, that whole terminology issue between Chat GPT being the right. retail product and GPT right. being the yeah right. like the the underlying engine is that engine. Yeah, it's not Chat GPT. It's but it's the right, GPT exactly. it's the same model okay. developed by OpenAI, yeah. and it's the the latest one most people are using is three point five. There's some suggestions that what Case Text is using is something later than 3.5. And there are rumors now, the New York Times and other sources are reporting that next week, uh, OpenAI is likely to release GPT-4, which is supposed to be a gazillion times better than GPT-3.5. And so- uh, that, is the, uh, that is the yeah. rumor that we're within a week of having that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a week of us all losing our jobs. Yeah. Well, some Microsoft executive reported it yesterday, but apparently he wasn't supposed to or something. So I think that's going to be out, uh, out next week. Um, and, uh, and as Andrew likes to remind us, they were partnering with OpenAI back in 2020. <laughs> um, and Andrew's moved on to greener pastures and healthcare where the real money is. Um, Anyway, yeah, that's really interesting, uh, and uh, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this how this evolves. And I, and I think again, we're kind of just at the, in so many ways, we're just at the, uh, you know, the the first pitch in a lot of ways in terms of how this is all going to evolve and, and play out uh, over over the next ten years. Um, speaking of GPT. Uh, Nikki, <laughs> you've got a few GPT. Uh, you've been you've been doing a few GPT things this week. I do. Let me sit down. My dogs keep wanting to go in and out because they want to play in the snow. Um, okay. Uh, well, so well, I'm a you know all I I'm obsessed. Whenever something new that is as exciting as GPT comes along, that's I get obsessed, and that's kind of what I do is write about it and write about it and write about it from one angle and from another angle and write about it some more. And so. <laughs> I am um, linked to my most recent article, which was from the Daily Record. And uh, it's, you know, I'll put it in the chat, but it's, um, I just sort of provide, depending on the outlet I'm writing for, I approach topics in a different way. And for the Daily Record, I tend to often do like 101s, like very basics uh, stuff, because it's not necessarily lawyers interested in legal tech that are reading it. It's lawyers that just read the daily record. So in this particular one, it was really a- uh, And they really just want to know what time their case is scheduled for. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, what is this? <laughs> so in um, that one, it was pretty basic and I just provided you know, a definition of what it is and tried to explain some of these cases. Um, but uh, another thing that happened that I thought was interesting was this morning that is also chat GPT related. Um, I really liked it because it's uh, one of the many different use cases for chat GPT. Um, <clears throat> Carolyn Alipont, my 
co-author and good friend posted on her blog, My Shingle, a summary of um, one of my talks, which this particular one was remote work and hybrid work and the ethics and practicalities of it. Um, and there was a law student at the talk who summarized it and then gave it to Carolyn. And then she had chat GPT summarize the law student's notes and she turned that into a blog post. And she you know, indicated at the top of it that it was a chat GPT summary of this law student's notes. So I thought it was a, and it was, Carolyn recently posted and I had to look it up and it's a little complicated how she um, took the API of OpenAI and connected it with um, Google Docs so that she could very easily have that thing type of thing happen where she, it's sort of an automated process rather than having to manually copy and paste it into chat GPT and then paste the results back in. So, and she said she found it on TikTok, which I also loved because, you know, Carolyn has been really experimenting with TikTok and it's a, TikTok's a great resource for information these days, just like chat GPT is. Um, so I thought it was really cool that ChatGPT was involved in sort of the summary of my talk on remote work. I thought it would have been even cooler if it had been the summary of my AI talk where I talked about ChatGPT and it would have been kind of an inception kind of thing. But at the end of the day, there's there's so many use cases for ChatGPT. Uh, I just wrote my article and submitted it yesterday for the Daily Record where I kind of dove in and provided a whole bunch of different examples of ways that you can use it. And I think right now, the ways that lawyers can use it that are the most interesting and the most practical that sort of sidestep some of the ethical issues of confidentiality, of unreliability of output, are when you ask it to summarize documents, like for example, a deposition transcript. That was the bane of my existence as a young associate, having to summarize all these deposition transcripts for the partners. You know, to be able to copy and paste a deposition in there, a transcript and get a summary is wonderful. But there's a text limit. And so you're going to have to, I, I, right now it's a little cumbersome unless you have it hooked up to um, Google Docs like Carolyn does because you have to copy and paste portions of it at a time. But so one way was that, I think I mentioned last time I talked to someone who'd used it as a voir dire in a murder case to draft a voir dire on some very specific points. It's great for those summarizing documents, summarizing notes, summarizing, um, you know, uh, cases, summarizing, um, transcripts. I think that's a great use case because you're taking data that arguably isn't um, already privileged and just getting summaries of it to streamline things for you. But there's you know, a ton of other ways that you can use it um, to give you starting points like for cross-examination or direct examination. Um, and I tested it out and I asked it a very specific use case in New York that I'm very familiar with, um, with my criminal defense background having worked for a DWI defense firm as well. Um, operability and how New York defines operability of a vehicle and how, you know, I asked it to provide me with a cross-examination where I represented the defendant of the cop to try to see what the basis for the cop's allegation that this person who was passed out on the side of the road in a car had actually operated the car. And it did a really good job. Like it gave me a list of questions that really dove into, in New York, the different considerations that you have to um, think about because it's really a reasonableness situation, but there's all these factors that you have to consider that provide evidence that this person didn't just magically pass out in a car drunk and somehow they drove to get wherever they were. Um, so it was, uh, it did a really good job. And so that was kind of what I used to test my theory that it would be good for direct and cross. And so I included that in there as well, but I tested each concept before I included it in the article. 
But there's a ton of use cases now, even if you're not going to be putting, you want to avoid putting confidential information into chat GPT. I did read also, just in terms of that specific issue, that they used to say that all input would be reviewed and kept to improve it, and now they're changing that. So that they're, um, I can't recall exactly what it is, but they've actually changed the terms of service to reduce that in uh, the, that problematic issue. So I think there's a ton of potential, and it's so cool to be to see this thing exploding in such a short amount of time and seeing the ways that it's just going to change everything that we do, both in the law, practice of law and outside of it. You know, I, I am already yeah, hearing, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm already hearing that there are some firms that are basically banning it uh, without, I think, even exploring it. And I think that's something that we're going to have to keep track of is uh, whether you know, firms don't, I guess there are some firms that don't even want to test it in a controlled environment. They just see the liabilities as so off the charts that they just don't even want their lawyers using it. Yeah, I think the, I, the, with reference to uh, to tech show, um, I, w one thing that I was struck by is, is just how many of the vendors in the exhibit hall at Tech Show were all talking about somehow incorporating ChatGPT or GPT into what they're doing. And, um, you know, there, there is real danger. I mean, we, we, we've all seen the hallucination issue. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, had a, had a blog post a few weeks ago about a, a, a you know, a, a reputable legal tech company that put out a, a ChatGPT product and didn't even notice in the examples that they were using of that product that it was hallucinating. Uh, and it, it, it took Pablo uh, Arredondo <laughs> on Twitter calling out uh, that fact for, for even me to notice it. And I mean, I had this, the, you know, the, the screen capture on my story about the thing, the screen capture from the vendor where it cited chapter and verse of a, of, a, of a California ethics rule that turned out to have been totally made up, uh, not a real ethics rule. Um, and so I, you know, when I look at all these vendors at, at Tech Show who are rushing to incorporate this into their products, you have to wonder how many of them have any idea what they're doing uh, and, and any idea of what kinds of guardrails to put around this as they're doing that. And uh, so, I, I mean, I think, you know, that the danger for for law firms is not from obviously not from case text or or uh, you know or even Harvey. Uh, it, it's from these sort of uh, smaller companies. I almost wanted to say like you know mom and pop style, like very small legal tech companies. They're just trying to beef up their products quickly with something with, that they don't maybe fully understand. But that's why. Uh, it, it, my, my talk this week was at BYU, at BYU Law School. It was back on the old topic of technology competence, which I like to talk about, but just, you know, in part, just how it's that, that competence is, you know, we're, we're just coming into an age where, where tech competence is going to be more essential and more critical than, than it's ever been before, even though we're, we're now 10 years into this duty of technology competence. Um, well, the technology keeps changing. Like, hey, just when people think they're competent, it changes. Come on, we got to slow it down. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Joe, what do you want to talk about this week? Yeah, uh, I guess I have a few things. Um, one is uh, Merlin, uh, which we've 
I, I think we talked about way back in the day, uh, new, you know, it, the, the, the new, uh, the new project from uh, the folks behind Catalyst uh, that it, when, when we talked about it last time, last year, uh, it was the most mind-blowingly fast e-discovery thing I'd ever seen. Uh, it, it moved in a way that really impressed, like, and I, I think you said, you, Bob and I watched it, saw it together at, when it, when we saw our first look at it. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't take a, you know, it takes a lot to impress Bob. And you even thought it was uh, bizarrely fast uh, as a processor. So as it turns out, uh, the newest thing that they've unveiled is a change in how they price data storage and e-discovery, which I thought was really interesting because it, it speaks to the way in which the world the analogy I always think of is that you, you read sometimes these people who are like, uh, you talk about the reason roads are the and rail tracks are the way they are is that that's how Roman chariots were. And then when we moved to new technology, we just kept the same distance. And there's no real reason it's that way other than we just kind of built the architecture that way. And that that kind of came through in my conversation about this new cloud utility pricing that they have, which is that we've always kind of built the way in which we price that out uh, on the logic that everything's built around multi-tenant architecture because that's the cheaper way of most cost-effective way of doing it and that means you can't really turn off the servers uh and you don't really have have to do it that way anymore uh it is now cost effective to do it with a single tenant architecture which no one's really been able to build that way but since merlin's new they were able to build it out that way and so they can give you the opportunity to shut off the system uh, at night and then turn it back on in the morning and it comes back in five minutes and they don't have to charge you for using all that hardware for the time that it's off. Uh, so they have a pricing model that if people are willing to use it, will save tons of money and tons of energy costs for the environmentally conscious out there. And it seems like something that is an advantage to what they have that I'm sure eventually people will rewrite the whole way they do this, but that's going to take time for folks. So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I used to, used to kind of work for Catalyst as a consultant back in the day yeah. and, and, and John, I know John Trudenick, uh, well, I haven't had a chance to, to write it up yet, but, uh, I, I, it, you know, I, what I, what I, I love your allusion to the, uh, the way roads are built because I mean, John, yeah. John is just somebody who likes to think differently about how things can be done and why are they being done the way they are and how can we do them better? I mean, he, he really had, you know, his company had one of, one of the first real, um, um, sort of, uh, you know, tar, what, well, I think John even coined the term of tar 2.0, but, uh, you know, really kind of moving tar forward, uh, early on in the e-discovery world when he was at Catalyst and with Merlin, he's trying to, you know, reinvent search and reinvent pricing and, and really kind of disrupt the way things are done in the e-discovery world and the pricing model. To me, it seems that the pricing model he's introduced just makes so much sense, and, and the yeah. savings are clear. And he's got all these nice little worksheets that people can use to say to figure out wh what they can save if they use his model. And and it, it's it's there in black and white. You can see it. It's not it's not some kind of hocus pocus. Um, so uh, so good for him. And I I hope it uh, I hope it uh, uh, spreads throughout the e-discovery industry. The only other thing I had uh, kind of 
more quickly was uh, Zuva had, you know, has the, uh, the kind of the spinoff of Kira after Kira got acquired, uh, does contract analytics stuff. Uh, and they have a new free version, a widget that you can use that is more limited. It can only do one contract at a time, whatever, uh, but that can leverage their technology for free. Uh, and you know, obviously, a small lawyer, maybe a small lawyer doing something here and there can do that. But uh, most law firms probably want something bigger. But the use case that I thought was interesting when I was playing around with it was for getting clients. Uh, you could put out a blog post that's like, hey, what I, I kind of tied it to the recent Twitter severance agreement, maybe don't make fun of people for having muscular dystrophy issue. Uh, for those who haven't fo followed that, Elon Musk decided to mock uh, his employees, an employee for having muscular dystrophy. And that employee had a $100 million severance uh, clause in termination clause in his contract, which, you know, now Elon seems to be trying to apologize. Uh, but that, but I thought there's a lot of people getting laid off over at Twitter. And you know, you could write a post that's like, hey, are you in the process of potentially being laid off? Like, what actually is in your employment contract? And you can just, as a person who doesn't even have a lawyer, drag your contract into this widget. It'll tell you what you got. And then uh, you can decide whether or not you want to hire that lawyer. And I think if you're a small firm trying to get that business, you put up a blog post that someone can find, like, what's what are my rights with regard to, you know, it doesn't have to be severance agreements, non-competes, whatever it is. Uh, and it gives them an opportunity to use the AI to get just enough of an answer to know whether or not they should call a lawyer. Uh, so as an advertising thing, I obviously it can be used for a lot more than that, but that's the thing that hit me. I was like, this is a great tool if some enterprising firm wants to start putting stuff up to try and get clients in who to show them what they can do. Cause most people sit on their rights cause they don't even know. Yeah. It's a little bit limited. It's a little, it's pretty cool. It's a little bit limited over what obviously over what you could do with Zuva, but former, I mean, Zuva yeah. is, is essentially an API. It's not even really a, a, a product at this point because Kira yeah. was the product that sold that to Latera. Latera still has that. Uh, and and he basically took the same technology, the same AI engine that underlied, underlied, underlaying, under, whatever the word would be, underlies uh, Kira, and uh, you know it is, has started this company Zuva, and and so it is, it's the AI that you know uh, other legal tech developers are are licensing this technology, other you know law firms are licensing this technology, uh, but. Now, I, you know, you can you can go out there and just play around. I mean, there's only you're limited in how large a document you can upload uh, uh, and uh, some of the some of the kinds of documents you can analyze. But, you know, for the price, <laughs> you can't beat it. Uh, and it, that lets you see how cool the technology is. And, and I'll say, like, not to get into a in inside baseball traffic, uh, Internet traffic issue, but I think the proof was kind of in the pudding as a legal text story posted on my site because I hooked it off of the Elon Musk severance clause issue, it's gangbusters hits, uh, like in ways that my usual text stories, like my text stories do fine, but like, this is like five to 10 times as many uh, reads. And it's people reading about this because the headline that is what, what's going on, let, what about checking your severance agreement uh, is getting people to look. And if, if it can do that, then it can do that for some firm who's trying to uh, gin up some business. You know, what comes to mind 
travel insurance <laughs> agreements, yeah. you know, like or health insurance agreements. Like, what am I covered and when am I not covered? Could somebody put that into plain English? <laughs> yeah. Well, and along the same lines, um, the I just put two different links in the chat. The first one, in terms of chat, GPT stories that intersect with legal. That first one I thought was super interesting and had some really interesting implications about litigation in general. Um, it was about how somebody who uh, was involved in, um, was an abuse, domestic abuse survivor and had a ex who was a lawyer or at least a law student who was like a um, litigious person who had filed all these suits against her and all these, you know, kept filing stuff against her in court. And so she couldn't afford a lawyer. And so she was saying how she used chat GPT to represent herself and to get a better idea of how to respond to the different things this guy's filing is like a vexatious litigant. Um, but it, what, what really interested me about that was twofold. First of all, the potential that people who want to be vexatious litigants, they just want to file a bunch of crap because they're mad at somebody or because they're not all there in the head. This really, uh, ChatGPT has the potential to really um, empower them to do that. And so you're going to end up seeing a lot of pro bono um, people using ChatGPT and tools like it to allow them to just barrage the, the uh, litigate, um, the justice system and to file complaints all over the place. So that was somewhat problematic to me, the potential for that. But also the it was just sort of disturbing that she was like being victimized by this guy again. And all she had to rely on was chat GPT to try to help her navigate the criminal justice and civil system. Like it, it was just a little upsetting. And, and it was also a little disturbing that it was so useful to her, you know, that this was the first tool that came along that really helped her. But because we all know about all the hallucination issues, who knows what she's actually relying upon to help her navigate the complexities of our just criminal justice and civil litigation system. So it was just really interesting in terms of all the different issues that that kind of touched on and the good and the bad of chat GPT and kind of we're heading into some really murky, bumpy waters, I think. And there's no way any kind of regulation or uh, this is not going to get reined in. Like, I think we're in for a, a rough ride down the road and <laughs> I don't know what it's going to look like, but. It's interesting. Speaking of murky waters and rough rides, there's <laughs> Joshua Broder and Do Not Pay is back in the news again this week. Yeah, as was noted in the chat here, I think already. Uh, Stephanie was going to talk about this this week, but uh, you know, in, in the continuing saga of Do Not Pay, which I think we've talked about in some some way, shape, or form in just about every episode of this podcast for the last month and a half or so. Um, uh this week a class action was filed in california uh by a, a lawyer on behalf of a client who used do not pay for certain uh certain purposes uh and uh is claiming uh that, that he got uh, less than stellar results out of it uh and uh essentially is you know, the, the, it's it's a uh, unauthorized practice of law. Class action is basically the basis of it. I mean, he's claiming that do not pay is engaged in the unauthorized practice of law, and uh, and you know, apart from just the sheer illegality of that, not doing a very good job of it either. Um, so um, 
That'll be interesting to follow. I, you know, I, it's hard to tell how much of this uh, is just based on what's already been going on. I, I mean, the complaint in that California case does name a different person other than Catherine Tucson, who we've talked about m many times on this show, the one who originally kind of did this, did this uh, investigation of do not pay his capabilities. Um, but uh, so he's there's a different plaintiff in this suit, but uh, um, and it doesn't name Joshua Broder individually. It's just uh, just against do not pay. But the story keeps unfolding was, there. I thought it, I think it's great because now he doesn't have to spend the million dollars to have his algorithm argue this case for them. Uh, I assume that they, they trust it to do that. So we're going right. to be in good shape. Yeah, I think that's what the lawyer said, right? Didn't he say that in the class action somewhere? I think he made some reference to that. Um, you know, it is it's funny, but on the other hand, this in a way, this is kind of what we're all afraid of is is that all of a sudden, you know, the, the bar that has resisted a lot of these uh, sort of justice tech applications or self-help legal applications are suddenly going to see here's our chance to start trying to get, you know, unauthorized practice cases going and try and get these companies shut down. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the downside to all of this, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it, it makes me irritated. Uh, and I, I wrote a story a while ago about this, but it makes me irritated with how do not pay played all this because when they were staying in their lane, everybody was happy and it was cool. And, you know, they were trying to fix tickets that nobody was going to hire a lawyer to do anyway. And it was, you know, even if it wasn't doing perfect, you know, good enough to at least help somebody who otherwise would have ha had nothing. Uh, and now they flew too close to the sun. And I think you're right. I think that there's going to be a lot of very destructive backlash against the possibility of justice tech. Yeah. I think that there's, um, I saw uh, um, from Android, <laughs> Tom Martin had just posted that there's, I think he has a webinar coming up about that very topic with um, some of the, from the woman from Paladin, who's, I'm having a really hard time accessing everybody's names right now, but um, Sunday. yeah, they're having a panel to actually talk about that exact issue. It's coming up soon. I saw it on LinkedIn, but I don't have the information about it right in front of me, but that's probably would be an interesting panel to tune into to sort of hear from people directly involved in that, what they what they think oh, it may, how it may impact their business with uh, access to justice apps. Yep. Tools. Yep. All right. What's happening next week? Anything coming up next week? There is some news coming up next week, I think, but uh, no conferences, no travel, I don't think. Any, unless anybody's got something. I'm gone. I'm gone every gone. week for a while. Uh, yeah. Even if it's not for this, it's for other things. So I'll be out. Off Sorry. On the debate circle. All right. Well, we will all be. Yeah, this is a, no, this a one's a weeks, wedding. I think. Oh, okay. A this wedding. one's a wedding. Yeah. Right. Then, then it's conference. Then it's debate. Then it's debate. Yeah. It's just a, a whole thing. All right. Gene, you going to legal week? You're muted. You're muted. I'm muted. Yes. Yeah. I will be there for the entire week. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Maybe we can I'll do, maybe we can get a show together at legal week. We weren't able to do that at uh, tech show, but maybe we can somehow get together and do a show or something at some point during legal week. My, my afternoon on thir Thursday is good. All right. I have to see what events we get blocked from. Right. Yeah. Won't happen there. Uh, all right. Anything else anybody want to talk about? 
quiet Friday afternoon here. I'm trying right. to put a link to that webinar, but I may not find it in time. Um, sounded really interesting, but okay. I can't find it. I give up. <laughs> I saw it. It's, you know, it's uh, um, Tom. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm, uh, right go to like here. American Legal Technology here. Awards or something, whatever their site is. They'll have it there, I think. Yeah. Oh, I there just, it is. I, I don't know. That's, here it is. Yeah, March uh, Mark Palmer just posted it. Yeah. Yep. No, Mark that's a different it. one, I think. This one's different here. I'll, this is a, I'll, I found it. Um, here, I'll put it in the chat real quick in case anyone's the, oh, no, he found it. Sorry. I thought you were referring <laughs> to Matthew Kerbis. You're correct. Good. All right. Awesome. All right. Okay. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, uh, that does it then, I think, for today's show. And we will be back next Friday to talk about whatever happens next week. Hope to see you then. Bye. See you all. Bye, everyone.